I'm Sharon Batters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And our vision is to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And one of the ways we do that is with conversations with people who have experienced life crises that turn their lives upside down. Some of our topics are terminal illness, grief, sex trafficking, child abuse, domestic abuse. We really go into those places that are often difficult to talk about and even more difficult to know how to come alongside of someone who is hurting. So it's our hope that these conversations will not only encourage the one who is hurting, but equip the one who wants to come alongside of their hurting friend. And I am so excited today to have Wendy Alsop as our uh, guest. Wendy uh, first came to my attention through her blog, theologyforwomen.org. And I just was captured by her story, by her words, by her message of hope, and even in really rough times. And she has written a book called Companions in Suffering. She's written other books, but the one we're going to talk about is Companions in Suffering. And although the uh, title you think about suffering could be dark, but not the way that Wendy writes about it. So Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we jump into talking about your story, tell us a little bit about what your life is like right now. Thank you for having me, Sharon. I'm excited to be on this today. I live on a farm with my two boys. They're 14 and 15 year old. And I teach math at a local community college, which is a big joy. And I'm a part of a young church plant in our Presbytery, a multicultural church plant, which also brings deep joy. So I have deep joy in my life through my children, my church, and my job, and lots to be thankful for. I'm I'm really grateful to hear that because I've uh, followed you through some pretty hard times. Uh, You've been very transparent about going through church conflict, uh, done one a divorce, uh, your recent battle with cancer, and more. I have been intrigued so much by your perspective because you have been so transparent about your own struggles to sometimes reconcile God's love with his sovereignty. And I resonate with that because after the death of our 16-year-old son, Mark, I really wrestled with the Lord to try to reconcile his sovereignty with his love. So I feel that connection to you deeply. I know that writing is hard work. It's isolating. And sometimes you wouldn't just throw the computer out the window. So tell us why you persevered in writing a book that is so personal. Well, for me, I have found I am an, I'm not a disciplined writer. Like something occurs to me or the Holy Spirit's working in my heart or he does something in my heart and I can't not write it down. And the act of writing it down, I think, forces me to think through it and kind of remember it. And so a lot of my writing, especially about this hardest season these last few years was very much me processing what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and wanting to share it with someone else. And eventually it became the book. And then what originally came about in the book, I had a wonderful editor who really helped me make it better and had a lot of wisdom to offer me. And so for me, the, the act of writing something that I really do, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with the responses I've gotten about the book, but I really, really credit people God brought alongside of me to help me with it. Well, your title, Companions in Suffering, Comfort for Times 
of loss and loneliness. I mean, that I think suffering, you could say suffering equals loneliness. Um, Suffering takes us into those places where sometimes we just cry out, just send me a friend. And often we don't get those friends at the times where we need them. And you have shared about how your need for companionship was met through Jesus in a way that maybe you wouldn't have experienced any other way. Can you help us understand that better? Yeah, I, um, you know, I was, I was very fortunate because I had a lot of lovely people around me and family members who love Christ. But then I also had some moments where there wasn't anybody around me. And, you know, some of your darkest moments are the days or the hours. I don't know when you got the news of your son's death, but there's a time frame before others can come and support you. Or for me, you know, it was the nights in the ICU after my cancer surgery, where I knew that they had found it in a lymph node, but I didn't know how bad it was and nobody seemed to come by that could ever tell me. So I was just vexed as a single mom with two young boys. Nobody could tell me my stage of cancer, you know, and so I'd have these nights laying awake in really bad pain all night long. And, and, and even though I had so many friends who loved me well and would come and sit with me in the hospital, I just had a lot of hours awake in the middle of the night with thoughts in my head. And, and I needed Jesus. I did have a companion. You know, a lot of times I want to call someone on the phone, but it's in those moments where you can't call someone, you can't talk to someone, you can't, I, I was kind of strapped down to a bed, I couldn't hardly move, I couldn't pick up a book to read, and I just needed the person of Jesus Christ himself, and the Holy Spirit in my heart, and I found him, I mean, he was there, and I really had some sweet moments of where, like, just memories of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, and great agony for us, his cries on the cross, and you know, what I was really experiencing in that moment was intense pain. It was a lot more painful than what I realized I was getting into, but I was wounded to heal myself from cancer. And I just remember it dawning on me, Christ was wounded. He felt that pain and more. He didn't have, I had narcotics and I was still feeling that kind of pain. He didn't have narcotics. You know, he felt that pain and more, and it wasn't because he was sick. It wasn't for his own healing. It was for me. And that was really sweet fellowship. I don't know. I felt like I came to understand more of what was going on on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane than I had ever understood before. And he did it not for himself, but for me. And so, you know, knowing Christ and seeing him in those moments really can minister grace to us. We can't get anywhere else. That's a perfect segue into something that you brought up in my own heart. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer and the day after the surgery and not knowing what's going to happen next and all of that, I'll never forget, you know, just saying, Lord, I have kids. If I survive for five years, maybe I'll be okay, but they're going to need me more then than they need me now. You know, you know, you know what, what's right. going through your head. And I remember just so distinctly, it's as though I heard a voice. I didn't hear a voice, but that the Lord was saying, my mercies are new every morning, look for them. And then Isaiah 45, where he says, I will give you treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you will know I am the Lord your God, the one who calls you by name. 
And that's such a picture to me of the sovereignty of God and the intimacy of God. You know, that he is the Lord, my God, but he calls me by name. And what an invitation to experience those treasures. But those treasures, I think, only come in the darkness. I, you know, riches stored in secret places. And I think that's what you're describing is that that pain drove you to Jesus in a way that may not have happened any other way. I've been intrigued by the phrase fellowship of suffering. You know, Paul calls us into the fellowship of his suffering. And I'm not going to, I don't feel like I can expand on it more than just the phrase itself, but the phrase itself suggests there's something to be known of him through suffering. And I wish I could have known things without suffering. Maybe I could, and I'm certain and certain in heaven when I'm not suffering in heaven, I will know much more about him. So, you know, suffering is not necessarily the only way to come to know him, but I know that he teaches us in suffering. And, it, and what I've learned about him through my, these last few years is like, it's something I want to know. It's like the kind of things that actually, I'm glad I know him now. So it, and it's, it, they're worth knowing. It's something about a God who is worth knowing that I know better, that's sweet and unexpected. I still wish I hadn't gone through some of these things, but there's something sweet and unexpected that I've tasted and seen. It's worth knowing. I don't know how else to say it, except I'm glad I know it. I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you. I, after the death of Mark, I just thought, I will never survive this. There was one thing that I knew wouldn't change, and that was God's word, because it had been planted in my heart, and because the Bible tells me that, and because I didn't know what else to depend on. I knew nothing was dependable. Anything could change. I could lose somebody else. So I had to go somewhere where I, even though I was very disappointed with the Lord and lamented deeply, deeply, but I knew that's the only place I could go for hope and comfort and strength. And those early morning times with him, I wouldn't trade them. Um, You're right. There is such a sweetness in them. And I would say to anybody who's listening, who's really broken and hurting and feeling as though there is no hope. I know that Wendy and I would both share with you. Yeah, there is. Yeah, through Jesus and through his word. And it won't feel like it at first. It may not feel like it at first, but I would say, you know, just like when you take medicine for something physical, it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a while for the word to open up your heart, but stay with it. Just stay with it. You had described beautifully in your book, and you just shared some of it about those hard nights in the hospital of uh, recognizing Jesus was your companion in suffering in a way that it sounds like as real as a person, a physical person being there with you. But I would imagine that's not a one and done thing, that there are times since those moments, those sweet moments where you have uh, experienced loneliness and sadness and maybe struggled with some dark feelings. So how do you, I don't know if you can recapture that feeling, but how do you talk to yourself? to remind yourself of the way that he has come alongside of you? I have found a lot of wisdom in the story of Moses and the children of Israel and the manna, how God provided the manna every day. And I talk about it a little bit in the book because I would have these moments where 
I really felt like I should be beyond this. You know, like I dealt with this emotional struggle last week, right? And God spoke to me to his word last week. And I thought we were past this last week. And it would vex me very much that I would need the same spiritual truths again and again and again. But the story of the manna is very, very helpful, especially when Jesus says, I am manna, right? I am the bread of life. And so the manna is this illustration of our need to eat of Jesus every day. And, you know, they would uh, gather the food, right? And the first day they come up and like, oh, oh, this manna, let me gather it all up. And of course that makes sense, right? Gather up all the manna you can. That's wise, right? But then the next day it was eaten with worms and they had to go gather it daily. And it was a good lesson for me that God was not going to you know, give me a month's worth of spiritual nourishment per interaction, but he is interested in a daily relationship with me. And sometimes at my low points, it would be, you know, every two hours, I would really almost need the exact same type of nourishment. And when you're really, really weak, you do, you know, like you'll you'll have a, a an IV drip that goes continuously all day long at particularly low points of health. And in a similar fashion, I needed an IV drip at times of Christ and his word. And sometimes I wasn't able to feed myself that way. But I had others whose faith was not challenged by my lack, you know, my lack of faith or my weakness. Their faith was strong and they would come alongside of me and speak the same truths to me over and over and over again. And finally, it took a while, but I learned it's okay that I need to hear some of the same truths three times a day. Or, you know, every day I am struggling with the same mental battles because I have a daily relationship with Christ. So that's okay. And I just need to come back daily to the manna, to the bread of life and, and feast on him daily. And that was a really important lesson for me. I think it's amazing some of the words you're using. I know we must be sisters or something because mm-hmm. I used to say I I need an IV drip of scripture 24-7, especially in the early days of losing our son. And the other part about people believing for us. I mean, that's really what it, it I, I had a friend tell me one time when I said, I can't, why do I keep going back to the same dark places? And I don't even know if this is true anymore. And I'll never forget her saying it is true. And I'm believing for you right now. And so I felt, you know, holding up your arms, those who come alongside of you to hold up your arms. And I would say to those who are listening, don't be afraid. If you've earned the right in a person's life, if they're, you know, you're friends with that person, don't be intimidated by what you think they know already about scripture. We need, when we're broken, we need to be reminded of the truth of scripture, not the fuzzy, you know, squishy cliches, but the, the meat of scripture. And Wendy, that's one reason I, I'm really drawn to you is because you are so rooted in theology and, and how that makes a difference in a person's life. And I appreciate that so much. One thing that I experience and I know other hurting people experience is forcing ourselves to go out into groups of people family gatherings, even though our hearts are broken, being surrounded by people, and yet feeling so lonely. Why do you think that is? I think that there is an alienation in our own head because we have fundamentally changed. There's no way around it. You know, with the loss of a child, 
your life has fundamentally changed. Your brain has fundamentally changed. And there's something very, very different. And it affects all of your life. And I found for myself, you know, I had a divorce I didn't want. I had, I had breast cancer. I was fearful for parenting my children, all these new fears in my life. And I felt like, and I, I, I don't think people were really doing this at all, but I felt like they were going on in their normal rhythms. And suddenly every rhythm in my life was totally, totally changed. So, you know, it's very hard, you know, it's just very hard to be around people. And they want, one thing I found is people wanted to encourage me, right? They loved me. They cared about me at my church. But so often when I walked into church, I was barely keeping my emotions together. And I could hardly handle people walking up to me and asking me how I was because I was just trying to not run screaming from the room. You know, I just, I didn't want my mascara rolling down my face because I did it multiple times a week anyway, you know? And so I would find myself hiding, coming in right at the end. I mean, uh, right at the beginning, right before, or maybe a little bit after church started sitting on the back row kind of leaving as soon as it was over, just because I did not have the emotional bandwidth to have small talk that wasn't about myself or hard talk that was about my struggle. I didn't have really the ability to do either. And I just think there's a period of time you have to go through before that happens again. And then one day, you know, there's the miracle of laughter. You know, you laugh again or something's funny or you actually smile or you actually enjoy a moment. But until you get to that point, it's very, very hard in a group setting to see people that are not calling you maybe midweek. So it was so much better if someone would call and check in with me, not in a group setting, but people who would want to know how I was doing in a group setting. It was very, very hard emotionally for me. Yeah, I, boy, you're bringing back a lot of memories for me. And I do remember a couple times where, like, I was at a, a wedding shower for one of Mark's special cousins, and it was so hard to be there. And my sister came up to me and said, just whispered in my ear, we miss him too. And that was all I needed. I was, that gave me permission to enjoy those times. So we just have to be sensitive to those who are hurting. And I love what you're saying about call in the middle of the week, don't wait just till Sunday. You talk a lot about the book of Job in your book, and you say that the first two chapters of Job are like a tool chest for the believer who is about to go into severe trial. Can you give us just a quick idea of what you mean by that? Kind of whet our appetite for what you share in the book. Probably the number one tool that we receive in those first few chapters is the antidote for the the worst mental battle I had, which was what did I do to bring this on myself? What did I do to bring this on myself? Because if I could have figured it out, I would immediately stop that thing, right? And then I felt so vexed because I felt like I had done something wrong and now here I am paying the price, but I didn't know what it was. And, and so then I'm thinking of all these things that I've done. Maybe, maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's that thing. Where did I go wrong here, there? What Job offers us at the beginning is that, or maybe, maybe it's not because you dropped all these balls. I mean, we're all sinners in need of God's grace, but not all, your son was not, did not die 
because you were a bad mother, you know, but that's a kind of vexing mentality, especially for earnest, I think earnest Christian women and perhaps earnest Christian men struggle the same way, but I was, I had a sensitive conscience. You know, I, I loved God. And if there was something I needed to do to do to change, then I, w- I wanted to do that. And I didn't have a category until I got to the f- first few chapters of Job, really, that said, no, this is, you don't have to keep self-examining yourself. A, a friend of mine told me something so good. It was so helpful to me mentally. She said, you could think of the Holy Spirit like a referee where if he throws the flag, he's going to tell you what the penalty is for. So if I'm just constantly vexed, what did I do? What did I do? Like, I want to repent, but I'm not sure what I need to repent of. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a spirit of condemnation that's not from Christ. And so sometimes trials are in our lives just because Satan's horrible, right? Satan's a bad person. And Sin came into the world and there is death and there is disease. And it is not all because we have brought it on ourselves. And that for me, released me so much. It gave me hope that God was going to do something different or better for me. And this was not just discipline to get me to change because that pressure to change when you don't know what you need to change It was just a mental battle that was horrible for me. That makes so much sense because I mean, and even when you, your theology tells you that is not good theology, we still go through it. You know, it's kind of like that prosperity gospel theology, uh, false theology of if you do this, this, and this, God owes you. And I, before we lost our son, I was said, absolutely, I don't believe that. But when the world comes crashing down, it's right there in front of you. And I love what you're saying is that's condemnation. That's not God's grace coming to us. So it really encourages me to think that I'm having an opportunity to give testimony to Satan that, that this is the character of God. God is still worth worshiping. So Satan thinks they only worship you because you're good to them. And then, and we have this opportunity really to lean into our theology in suffering because we can say, no, I worship God because he is worthy of worship. I worship God because I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe I am reconciled to God and I believe I have an eternal future with him now. And it's worth enduring. His character is worth enduring this. And so it did, it gave me purpose, you know, to endure, to get up in the day and get out of bed. And I'm going to say, no, Satan, and, and it was real to me. You know, people joke about not today, Satan. Well, no, it was, it was sincere. Not today, Satan. Jesus is worth this. And Job, yes, he equipped me well. <laughs> I, I, I had never thought of it quite like that. So I'm sure I'm going to need that in the future. And I will not forget that. I feel like our time is flying by and we haven't had enough time to talk about everything. But for those of you who are listening, I hope this is like salty peanuts and that you're going to go get Wendy's book, Companions and Suffering. We're going to have links on our website at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can read more about Wendy. You'll There'll be a link to her blog and a link to Uh, her other books, as well as this one, Companions and Suffering. I I just wish we could talk for hours. 
But Wendy, before we sign off, can you just speak to the person who is just feels like she can't get her head above water? It's just wave after wave after wave of sorrow is hitting her. What would be the first thing you would say to her to comfort her and encourage her? I would encourage her that your act of faith can be just putting your feet on the floor, getting out of bed, that that is an act of faith. And I hope that she or he will feel free not to feel like they have to read long books or read long passages, but find you a nugget to hold on to. Like for me, at times it was just be still and know that I am God. Just find you a a nugget. Be still and know that I am God or God works all things together for good or maybe better. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know, uh, just a nugget because you're not going to be able to process a lot. And this is not the time to process a lot. Just get out of bed, do the bare minimum. And that alone is an act of faith. It's okay to weep, weep, because you know what, you know what suffering is? I I define suffering as um, it's us feeling all of the ramifications of the fall of man. This is all that's wrong with the world and us feeling the weight of it. And, and we shouldn't be making peace with it. it. It makes sense that it hurts, but the things you think will destroy you will not destroy you. And that is our hope in Christ. We have a hope that won't disappoint. And one day we will stand with God and he will wipe, he'll take his hand gently against our face and wipe our tears with his thumb and we will be at peace. We will be at peace with Him, and we have a hope that will not disappoint us. Wendy, thank you so much. Um, This conversation is one of the reasons why we do what we do at Mark Inc. I, in my most broken places, would have climbed over mountains to talk to somebody like Wendy, someone further ahead in the journey. Wendy is further ahead in the journey for some of you, and she's calling back that God is sovereign and you can trust Him. And It's just been such an honor and a privilege for me to have this conversation with Wendy. And as I said earlier, you can go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you are going to find lots more conversations like this, other free resources that offer help and hope, as well as more information about Wendy so that you can connect with her. I want to tell you, you'll love getting her blog post because she goes right to the root of real life. And I'm so grateful for her. Again, I'm Sharon Betters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Thank you so much for listening.